Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Hey, I got a new podcast coming. It's called Theory. Don't you know? This is Theo Rossi. Our world is changing. For many of us, it'll never feel the same. The important thing to remember is that we are all in this together. And that's some of what I want to talk about on my new show, Theory. We're going to discuss the things that no one ever does. The real talk, the sacrifice, and the struggle that everyone goes through. My life has kind of put me in a unique position to see things honestly. This is Theo Rossi, and my new show, Theory, launches on April 8th. Officially on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Yaron Weitzman, writer for Bleacher Report and author of Tanking to the Top, the new book on the Sixers, Sam Hankey, everything that came after that, the process, uh, a really great read. Uh, we will talk about it in a lot of detail and, of course, things that are outside the purview of the book as well. Really enjoyed the conversation brought to you by Bet Online. Check it out and use the Podcast One promo code to receive your sign-up bonus. This episode runs a little bit under an hour, uh, but lots of great stuff in here that feeds into the book, the process of how he wrote it, everything else like that. I, I really enjoyed the conversation and hope you will too. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I think a good place to start with this, I mean, a book is such a such a big process. I, I'm, I'm going to feel self-conscious every time I use that word I, in, in this, I, in this I drop. I feel like I drop one, like no pun intended, and that's it for like the, every time I do that. Yeah, like, exactly. Every interview, drop it. Because it's, it's just a really good word. Okay, but where I wanted to start was every book is such a big undertaking, but they all start and progress in very different ways. So I, I, where did this, was this something that kind of came to you in whole cloth and you said, I need to tell this story or was it kind of, you know, like you had an idea and then research and interviews and all that pushed in a different direction? Uh, the, okay. So two different things. So one, the book, I always feel like I let people down with my answer about the book, like how I decided to write it. But it was more of a business decision. <laughs> like it's not like I had some like yeah, there's nothing wrong calling. with that, right? Yeah, it's not like I had some calling to it. It was I was uh, I'm a, I cover the NBA for Bleacher Report in New York, and I'm a national writer. And I always feel like when I say that I'm say that not to make myself sound important. It's not I'm not right. Just the idea of the job is to find stories that are supposed to resonate for a national audience. And uh, being based in New York, the Knicks weren't covering it, so I started to start leaving right a little bit. So around 2017, 2018, I started heading down to Philly every now and then, just trying to be around them it was kind of obvious that they were going to be one of these next you know or i should say quote unquote next teams right um that we always have in the nba and then that year in the playoffs one day on the amtrak back i don't remember why but i just kind of thought oh i always want to write a book um there's certainly stuff here right there's lots of stuff let me see if uh there's something i can do um then the the reason i said like the answers to your questions are different because if you look at my proposal like I could sort of pitch this book as a uh, NBA Moneyball, right? Sam Hinkie, the Billy Bean guy, and finding market efficiencies and the genius GM and blah blah blah. And uh, the book, I mean, it has some of that, but that is not what the book is, which I'm kind of happy about. Um, that kind of came from research and reporting and stuff. It just to me, I shouldn't say it became clear. Clear, just what I found more interesting and more fun to write about, and what I thought would be more entertaining for readers to read would be kind of the backroom stuff. Um, so I kind of focused on that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, another another part 
of what made it such an interesting read and you know like it it was very it was very kind of surreal in a way for me because the entirety of this is a time that I've covered the league and a lot of it, you know intensely talking about talking about the league five to six times a week and doing writing and everything else so it's like I know all of I oh, like except for the the new elements of it like you know the basic contours of this pretty well and I think a lot of people will but like it cracked me up and it was totally appropriate that Sam Hinkie resigns halfway through the book <laughs> You know, know. because because it's just like the story the story and i think it's it's so appropriate because the story that he started wasn't finished when he left and and then and also because what happened after was also so insane that it it not only thematically fits but it was just it's just so damn entertaining. Like you have all of that, and I, so I cracked up when I'm like, I, I looked, at, I, I was reading the page, you know, talking about that that famous resignation letter, and yeah. and then I'm like, I'm looking at the book, and it's like, okay, I, I and, and then I'm, and then I started remembering some of the stuff that I knew had to be in, it, and I'm like, okay, I'm in for this ride too. No, it's definitely. I think also what you said. First of all, yeah. So like, just from a pure, I don't know, what you want to call it timeline perspective. Like, yeah, like the stuff. Like the I wrote the book. You know, I'll joke. I write the book. Therefore, the story's over. The process story is probably not over, right? It's probably we still have a few more years and probably tied honestly to Joel Embiid. Um, but but so there's that. But also like there's a stuff there that's book material. Whether it's Mark Fall, Brian Colangelo, Bernard Gage, I mean, Jimmy Butler's. There's a million things there where it's like even let's say even even if it wasn't. Even if it didn't make sense, you would still put that in your book, right? Because, like, how could you not? It's too good. Also, being, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong in this, being the first book to to hit some of that stuff is also kind of a cool place to be. For sure, yeah. Like, I'd like to, uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah. Like yes, to put yes. to put Burner Brigade in at least some historical context is is <laughs> is a is a different. It's a different challenge, and and, and mostly in a positive way. I can imagine uh, most writers would would embrace that. I mean, that was something that came up in in my book was like putting putting the recent indelible past in a different context, putting it in a larger thing is a real challenge, but it's also an exciting one. Yeah, I uh, yeah for sure. Like Burner Gate, I mean, writing that writing that chapter was just one of the strangest things. Just trying to um, synthesize all that stuff into well, and coherent also because some of it paragraph. isn't resolved. Like that was that was something that I had forgotten, and then remembered that is that like yeah, we have an understanding of kind of like what we think happened, but there was that like that internal investigation didn't really tell us everything we wanted to know. Oh, and we didn't hear about Brian Clay until I guess well he popped up on the radar recently. God bless the Chicago Bulls, right? Um, as my wife's cell phone goes off here, but that's fine. Um, God bless the Chicago Bulls for letting Brian Colangelo pop up on our uh, on, on our radars recently. But you know, for sure, it was not. It was not. Yeah, that book has not been closed there at all. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's totally true. And to kind of stay big picture, at least for a little while longer, when you know you talked about how the the pitch changed. You know, the pitch to the product changes just like it does for for a lot of different projects of this size, and also just the time it takes to write a book. But were there any avenues that like, – there were some avenues that I think probably you kind of knew like this might be a rabbit hole. But were there any that really surprised you of like, oh, there's a lot more here than I expected? Um, yeah, yeah. It's funny, right? Because you write this and like you know what your basic ten poles are going to be, right, on this book. Like Joel Embiid and this and that, Hinky's resignation. Um, some of the internal stuff like uh, this guy Scott O'Neill who's the team CEO um, and how he pretty much was pretty uh, – Bladen in trying to go behind Sam Hickey's back, which is stuff that was bubbling, you know, in the uh, on Sixers Twitter type stuff. But um, I didn't really, I, I, you know, I don't, know. I, I, I gave it more 
that and there was more of that in the book than I thought there would be. That's one. Um, a lot of it was also just finding the cliched criticism or the easy criticism of Hinky, like you know agents don't like him or I don't know this guy doesn't like him or this is he's bad he doesn't care about players. But so that stuff we've all heard. But finding examples of how those manifested themselves, I found that interesting. Yeah. Not that wasn't what I expected, but just no, like, yeah, okay, saying agents doesn't like him is one thing, but then getting an example of Jeff Schwartz of XL saying we're not going to deal with Sam Hinky again. Then you're seeing a concrete example of how this matters. It's not just a you know a sports radio type criticism. So that was I think it was more of, it was more of examples like that where you're seeing these little things and seeing oh this is what this actually looked like. Yeah, and it's also important to lay to lay those kind of like railroad ties along along the pathway because then that leads to the coup. And yes. I mean, a big part of that is that there are, there just aren't as many people in with levers of power that support him. And there aren't, and there are a lot of people who either are neutral about it or are more positive. I mean, you think to one of the things you talked about, and this is, I mean, this wasn't exactly secret that Adam Silver, you know, like was supportive of Colangelo becoming a part of that. And whether Silver I've never heard him say publicly that if he if he kind of like thought this might what ended up happening might be where it would go. But, you know, the idea that in in a normal, quote unquote, normal circumstance, you might not see the NBA commissioner facilitate. But because of the optics and because of some of the other unusual elements in this story that led to some important people putting their thumb on the scale in a way that hurt Sinky, that hurt Sam Hinkie's viability. I think that's a, I think it's a great way to put it, right? Like I've been asked a lot on this. So what, what was it that like, why is Sam Hinkie out? And I always explained it. There's no, it's not one thing. It was, I kind of call it a storm. It's like you saying the drill tracks with, and then little people, everyone, I shouldn't say little people, right? Powerful people all putting thumbs on the scale. And then you end up with Julie local for, and I guess going back by the way to the other question, that was the other thing also that how, how much that was the, to use a bad cliche straw that broke the camel's back. Like again, kind of thing we kind of knew, but just he, seeing that or hearing examples of the, details on how that was really it um i found that really interesting as well agreed yeah the the jaleel okafor story it, it, it that's that year's team was so bizarre and there were you know for for a team that was as as bad as they were then they got a lot of attention and i you know i try not to focus as much on the off-court stuff though it does often relate just because there's so much there's so much to go through but yeah i mean especially when you see it all in quick succession and then what the book does and i think it's also just when you focus on a single a single team you remember that for the people who the Philadelphia 76ers are their livelihoods, especially the people who you know run the team and who are on the team, think about how that sequence of events fell in the room. Then it, it starts to build it starts to build differently. It starts to feel differently because you're like, oh God, look at all of these things that happened. The there's no structure, there's no support. And then that makes it it makes it more palatable to say, hey, we need a we need an experienced hand, a voice in the room to help kind of fix the culture and whether some people knew, okay, well that's where, where this is going to end up somewhere different than where it's starting, is you 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 could probably get a larger contingency of support. So then what happens is that you have you have probably people who were more of a believer in what Hinky was and what he wanted to do if you can at least get them to the like small concession stage and then eventually it'll get to the big concession stage. Yeah, I would agree. It's, um, 
Yeah, just going back again, I'm repeating, like, it's just fascinating to hear. I feel like a lot of this, and this was one of the enlightening things on this, and I don't know, I think enlightening and just in general, and it doesn't always, not to get all soapboxy about, you know, sports debate and all that, but just, you know, these things are, these things are rarely black and white, right? It's rarely this or that, or you only support this, you only support that. And like the idea that you had to be, a hinky supporter or you dis- or you had either you agree with everything he did or disagreed right or he was completely wrong with this or completely right like it's just not the case it just this this whole book somebody called it um i think it was one of the rights to ricky sanchez guys the podcast guys um from sixers from sixers fandom who i wrote but like one of them told it um like kind of a book of context which i thought was a funny way to put it right just a lot of and that was it wasn't like that was my goal i mean it became the goal into writing it just to do it but just that was how i felt about it as you're going going out and setting about this project it's like oh you're seeing that there's literally all types of context to every single thing every argument thing that mattered everything that happened and it all leads it's like these little decisions and these little these little actions that end up piling snowballing well as you as you talked about you know with the the tentpole parts of it and and another element of that that you a lot of times whether it's a single you know a single piece as you and i have both done or a larger project a key question that I end up going back to a lot is what questions are most important to answer? And right. so, so it, okay, I'm, I'm endeavoring on this, but you're thinking of it as a product that somebody else is going to consume because you already know what's in your head and, and, and maybe not in the case of a book where you have to do research, but you, you kind of know where it's going to be. So then you, you have to take a step to the side and say, now I'm a reader, whether I know everything about the Sixers or I know a little bit, what what do I have to tell them to make sure they know everything that they need to, to when they're walking away from this? For sure, yeah, that was right. That was definitely like so. Like for me, it was like, oh, wh- wh- why did Sam Hankey resign? That's one. Two, oh, yeah, right, I was going to say resign or ousted slash resign, right? So it's like officially resign. Um, two is what's like you know in the present. What does something seem off sometimes, right? It's a, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't have to list these all, I guess, but it's just circling those. Um, and again, I'm going back, going back to the criticisms, what was valid of them and what was not. And, you know, talking, yeah, some of it is interesting. Like, I still, there are a few things I'm still, I still don't, I, like some stuff you still don't get answers to. Maybe not getting an answer is the answer. Like, one of the things Hinky, you know, he got, he got criticized often and I think often unfairly for, um, being ruthless in terms of how he dealt with agents and players, you know, and thinking of assets. But then I always go back to a small example in the book of the Andre Karolinko example, right? Where they, they trade for him and uh, he's at Brooklyn and it's it, Sam, he's told that he's gonna, that the Sixers will release him. Hinky claims that that's not the case, whether it was the case or not. Um, he knew the facts on the ground after he got him and he refused because he thought he can get a second round pick for him. Um, maybe at the trade deadline and Kirilenko, his wife's on bed rest. He's got three kids. He doesn't want to be there. And it's like little examples like that where I'm like, why? And like, okay, was, was this worth it really? And he would say, yes, I guess. Right. But was this worth it really to, to like to have this reputation i don't mean reputation just in terms of like me and you liking him but in terms of around the league and how it affects doing your job was the opportunity to get a late second round pick like is that the cost benefit analysis is that is that worth it and you know the fascinating part is as i'm saying nothing's black and white hinky was very black and white in how he looked at things and i think that makes it kind of interesting contrast it it does and as somebody who is obsessed with the CBA and salary cap and contract stuff. Hinky was great fodder for me throughout, like throughout, yeah, throughout, sure. throughout his tenure. And I, I think that one of the, to me, one of the the great lessons in the book, and you know, I, I've spent time working in politics and everything else, is a good way to think about a healthy way, I guess you could say, to think about 
how your play your place in things is the constituencies that can be formed against you. And then this is kind of what you were getting into in terms of there's no black and white. That's true. But there there are decision points which could yes. be do you think it. do you think this person is the right person for the job? And depending on how an organization builds consensus, whether they even have to or not, considering you know owners run the team and everything else, is where do people fall on that line? Because at a certain uh, you know even if you can put all the qualifiers and caveats, and I'm sure there are people who do that when you know Harris or somebody else asks you your opinion, but that is a real challenge. And I think you, you brought up the idea of like you know is it is it worth it? And I think. Even if it's a, even if it's a small thing, and and of course some of those you know some of those things that chafed agents were worth it. You know, like generally getting mm-hmm. those really team friendly contracts. I mean, T.J. McConnell and Robert Covington having them on exceedingly team friendly contracts that ran a long time was really important. That helped set the table for a lot of what happened. That also opened the door for Covington getting that. And just having so little money on their books, doing that renegotiation extension where they could give him the balloon payments, then his contract was better, so they could trade it for Jimmy Butler. Like all these things fit together in an important fashion. Not all of that was was done by Hinky, but a lot of it was. And and so what what I was getting at is this idea that every decision a general manager makes, and you could tie this to business and numerous other things, it creates positive and negative sentiments within the organization and outside yes. of it. And the cost-benefit analysis, that's where it gets really complicated. Another great example of this is we're really squeezing hard on a player that you know is going to be – that you hope and expect is going to be a part of your franchise long term. So it looks better if you get that extra you know, million dollars a year pound of flesh out of player X. And and maybe that million dollars is going to materially help your team. Maybe that is the cap space that allows you to sign a better free agent. Entirely possible. Happens all the time. The Warriors, you know, getting Kevin Durant is a great example of this. However, you also are going to have to negotiate with that player and that agent again. And it, I think all of those wins and losses get a lot blurrier when you think about it as a repeated experiment with a lot of the same people. Yeah, I think that's one of the, I mean, <laughs> you, you know, the NBA is a different business, all sports, and the, well, I'll say the NBA because that's what we're talking about, right? It's a different business, and you find, I mean, we find, again, I'll, I'll keep on the Sixers. I think their owners, they had to learn that, and, or, or I should say in present tense, they are still learning that, right? Like you have, it's not, there's a reason all these guys who are brilliant and make billions of dollars in other industries come in and often look like stum- bumbling fools, right? It's not because they're dumb. Maybe sometimes they are. I don't know, but like it's just it's it's your typical way of operating. Does you would in the other in other in business world outside world um, does not work in sport. It's a small world, right? It's a small world. Well, it's, it's, small it's, business, a, it's, a, it's not business. only a small world, but almost all of the rules that lead to other businesses succeeding don't apply. Well, that's so, a hilarious part. I mean, I, I love how uh, I mean that's not what you're like. I love how a bunch of uh, free market absolutists suddenly become pro, you know, <laughs> socialist type politics when uh, exactly. when it comes to them being on. It's it's amazing how these guys, you know, no, oh no, no. Well, free market could, unless it's my and team. You could see it. You could see it the other way too of people who, in in other circumstances, are you know pro worker and all that. All of a sudden, they totally understand. They they they're sympathetic to the owners. Yeah. Owners <laughs> posturing and positioning and all that, yeah, it, it creates it creates strange bedfellows. I think is, is is one way of putting it, and it that goes in so many different directions. I mean, one of one of the pieces of it is that 
the money, let's say, let's, let's, I mean, you talk in the early stages about, you know, like some of the, some of the weakness of the organization before Harris bought the team and they, you know, like how Mm -hmm. bad the facility was and everything else. And like in other businesses, sometimes you can get away with that, especially if your goal is to like be sold or something like that. You can get away with some bare bone stuff. I mean, probably not having an NBA team practice in a facility that, (laughs) that doctors, that doctors share and they get kicked out because people want to have an intermural. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And I mean, thinking about the, it's not, this isn't like, the 1950s when players flew commercial or something this was in this i was gonna say in this decade but i guess it was technically the previous decade it's like like, thaddeus young is one of the guys gave me quotes on that like he's still in the nba right it's it's incredible (laughs) and and so i I think that like so a lot of the ideas that can be there and also this weird this happen thing that happens i mean there are a lot of examples of this in, in the sports world just like there are in business of People who succeeded financially and think that the way they did it is repeatable, and whether that's applying it to sports or applying it to a second business, let's say they start a new venture and they're like, okay, I did X, Y, and Z. This was my organizational approach, and I made a billion dollars, so obviously that's the right way to do things. And so Mm -hmm. when you combine the survivorship bias that comes from that in just all circumstances, that there are so many other reasons any venture can succeed or fail – and you combine it with something that is so fundamentally different, but also, and I think this is the really fun part of it, and you didn't get into this in the book, though it's obviously subtext for everything like this, is that everyone thinks they know how it works. Like, that's the, the that's what makes sports different. It's not like you're walking into a country where you don't speak the language and you're trying to ride transit. It's like you walk into an English-speaking country, you think you can read the maps, but all the trains are running the wrong way. Like, that's what it, this is. It's um no, and I think also I mean it's funny. I, I'll bring it back to Sixers in a second. I think basketball even more so, and that's always been my uh you know I live in New York. That's always been one of my uh, armchair theories. I'm like you know people ask, well, how could the Knicks be so such a mess in the Rangers' work? And I always think I bet like Dolan, you know, everybody thinks they know basketball, hockey. Nobody thinks they know, so it's different, right? People have different opinions. Um, for the Sixers, it was fascinating. So the one of my favorite quotes in the book, and it came from Josh Harris at the Sloan Conference last year, or I guess two whatever two Sloan conferences ago. And he goes, I don't, the exact quote, I don't know, but we own a $2 billion chemical company and nobody cares about it, but everybody has the opinion on the, on the Sixers starting lineup. And that was very clear that like, that was something he learned, right? I think that surprised him, but not only that, that how, how, I mean, everyone knows people care about sports, but how strong the public uh, voice would be and how much it would affect him. Well, and, and that's clear someone, the, the yeah. other, the other part of that is it's, it's this such a weird split where a lot of the reason people own sports teams is for the prestige, but they don't yes. realize that the prestige also means that there are going to be people yelling at you and praising you. Like basically, <laughs> yeah, guaranteeing owning a sports team is a guarantee that that's all most people will know you for. Like there are, of course, notable exceptions. Mark Cuban is one, but for a vast majority, because a vast majority of super wealthy people aren't famous. Even though it's a very no, small group, I, that's just the way it works. No, this separate. This makes you special among the already special group. Yeah, right? that's why. And that's why a lot of people do it. I've long compared owning a sports team to owning artwork. That you, it's it's a very it's a very kind of like showy form of spending money. And that also, I use that in the argument of that's why it shouldn't be done to run a profit. Just like that's why you, not why you mm-hmm. don't buy art so it appreciates in value. That's not why it's been done. There are a lot of arguments about that, but. It is, but again, this is why it's it's so different from other businesses, 
But at the same point, there are some things that are similar. And I thought this was, you know, kind of a through line in the book of running things consistently, transparency, making sure that, that, that also communication, like, I mean, the importance of communication, I think, is an important through line in this book. Yeah, for sure. Right, for sure. Which, again, sounds like, duh. But I can't, you know, easier said than done. The Sixers, uh, and, and it's funny, I think it's uh, clear some of the problems that the Sixers were played with under Hinky's era. Um, but but it wasn't just that. I mean, away. The, you brought yeah. up the, the in the book the Joel Embiid injury issues when Hinky was no longer the general manager under under. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. No, it's follow. That's what I'm saying. It's good. That, that, that the fact that they still exist or have gotten worse, I think, is, uh, I don't know, telling in itself, right? That maybe the problems were not all what people thought they were. Yeah, exactly. Plenty more tanking to the top to discuss with your own Weitzman, but first a message from Bet Online. You might think that there's nothing to bet on since there's currently no NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, as they are bringing the Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on. If you're in entertainment betting, you can bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, all open. Open 24 hours a day and all online. If you check it out, and I highly encourage you to, use the Podcast One promo code to get your sign-up bonus. And great that you can visit BetOnline uh, using your mobile device, or you can do it on your computer, which is generally how I do it. And uh, don't forget to use that Podcast One promo code for your sign-up bonus at BetOnline, your online wagering solution. This came up a little bit in the, uh, the the part that when you talked about Drew Holiday, and so there's this difference of the opinion and another really challenging thing because a lot of the substance of this is not public about. So basically, what happened was Hinky and the Sixers traded Drew Holiday to the New Orleans Pelicans, and he later had a had uh, it was a, it was a stress fracture, I believe. And yeah, oh so, yeah, this whole so yeah. there's so there's beef between so basically there's beef between Dell Demps slash the Pelicans and Sam Hinkie slash the Sixers. And what I thought I mean, first of all, that story is instructive for 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 a couple of reasons. But for me the most important one is I don't know where the truth is, but it also is important that how people feel and how they perceive what happens matters whether or not they are correct. Yeah, I mean I have a uh I'm gonna try to I'm I'm trying to look it up to make sure what I used on the record and all you know i'm trying to remember but i have a story about the neil for payton trade right and i think i related to that that the sixers the magic believed and i'm checking out whatever i'll say the magic believed that um and tell me if you remember reading this i, I do talk about. okay so there you go before i make sure you know you forget you write so much you forget what you put in and what you don't what you yeah. are not supposed to and i'm guessing um, you're not getting into the alfred payton trade as much with in other interviews you've done in this book no right no exactly though again but it's a great example right because the magic believed that sam hinky had information from inside their office that the magic really liked alfred payton and that's how he was able to rip them off from well, for the dario sarich and what's right? what's so funny about that is the, is the way it comes full circle. This isn't in the book, but it's just it's something that I know, is that years after Hinky resigns and Elton Brand, you know, the, the GM after the GM, uh, he gets fleeced a little bit, yes, not to the yes, same yes. extreme, by the Celtics because the Celtics knew that the Sixers really valued Matisse Thibel 
and it's exactly. the same basic story. And so what's so funny is like, yeah, the, there's this under the magic have this belief that Hinky Hinky knew something through nefarious means or that he had some sort of spy on the inside. It doesn't have to necessarily be that. I mean, it theoretically could be, but it, uh, yeah. And, but again, that's the idea that you can create animosity. You can create that. And, and, and especially like you, you brought up, and I think this is such an important point to just hammer home as much as we can, how small this world is because right, exactly. so go back to the drew holiday one. Okay, so Del Demps is in the Pelicans front office, but then you think about all of the other people in that Pelicans front office at the time. And maybe not everybody agrees with Demps. Maybe some of them go, hey, this is just the way things happen. They didn't misreport anything. It's just it's just bad luck. But eventually, those people are part of other organizations. And then and maybe that organization had some sort of other dealing with, with Hanky, or maybe they have somebody from that Magic front office. And uh-huh. it... it there just aren't that many places for people to go and opinions solidify much faster than they change. And so if if you, so, so it doesn't take that much, especially if agents feel the same way for different reasons to get a a meaningful group of people or, and in certain cases, and it can even be some form of professional jealousy that can be jealousy because you think somebody is good at their job or it can be because they're getting more attention for it than you are. So like, Hey, this team sucks. Why is their GM getting attention and I'm not? Right, for sure, for sure, right. And that, that's why that played in. I'm, I'm going to add something else after, but that played into the idea. Hinky kind of felt like he was a lose lose in terms of one of the criticisms being like, oh, he doesn't talk to the media at all, and it's not he doesn't talk, and he felt like. Um, was my understanding that he felt like, but if I do that, then everyone's going to, you know, I already get criticized for being, you know, well, I'm not like people say, oh, he didn't do anything special. Tanking's not new, this or that. Nah, like <laughs> he's taking too much credit. Why does everyone care about him? He felt like if you would speak to the media, that would also, you know, just play into that. The other part I was going to say is the number, I'm, I wanted to put this in the book and I think I didn't just because I got lazy in terms of time. Um, but like agents, you mentioned agents and I would love to, maybe you know the number off the top of your head, but the amount of players represented, like I'm going to make up, I feel like 50% of the league is represented by like six people right in terms of how this works it's very it's very narrow i don't know i don't know that it's quite that number but yeah it's (laughs) it and and also when you think about players changing agents and all that like it's it's it doesn't take much and i mean schwartz you brought this up in the book like if if a major agency just i mean there's to an extent there's things that they can't do you know if the sixers draft your player you can yell from the rooftops Mm -hmm. that you don't want them to go there but you you know you're gonna have to talk to them to some extent but that sets a tone and, right. uh, and no, it matters if a major agency says we're not dealing like that matters you can say doesn't blah blah well actually no it matters it definitely matters right and that's something that it and, matters and it's unfortunate sure. just as a you know a, an experiment that we didn't get to see mm-hmm. what would have happened next because i mean there are a bunch of different a di- and that's a conversation that we should actually probably have but the it's a lot easier to say those things when it doesn't matter and easier to say okay our client we're not going to deal with him for our free agent clients and all that but then when they actually are good and the it's are, are you really and they're offering more money or they're offering the same money are are you really gonna just hang up on all their calls are you that was that you? was hinky's bet he that was his bet yeah. he, that and was it, it's that, a you shame know. it's a shame that we didn't get to see that because as much it as much as agents you know they want to set these tones they want to put in that that guardrail that you hey you can't do this kind of stuff even though it's allowed and you know getting into the being a little bit too cute within the cba and everything else but Hinky's bet, and I and I, I believe personally that his bet was mostly right, is that mm-hmm. because the the way to think about this 
and it's not as rigid as it is in these, is, is you think of like a publicly traded company. And a publicly traded company, generally speaking, their obligation is to do right by their shareholders. If they turn down a business opportunity because they don't like that person and it ends up being like a big success, they're probably out of a job. And agents serve, you know, they're they're employed by their clients. And if an agent says, you like, I'm not talking to the Sixers, and they're like, hey, they offered us, they offered me $2 million or more than any no, of their exactly, teams. Yeah, for sure. Like, that, at a certain point, that rubber is going to meet the road. And, and it would have been, it would have been really intellectually, but just, just fun. And I mean, there, there also aren't many people that don't have a cozy relationship with agents. So I would have liked to have seen it meet it just because we don't get, we don't get the control very often here. It just doesn't happen. No, I, but this is not. I also would have liked to see like what Hinky, you know, at some point you have to start betting on players, right? You can, you can, the asset game, you can always keep your flexibility, but at some point you have to bet on players. I would have loved to have seen Hinky put his, um, the scouting part, like that. And, and that's, and that's where I right? wanted to go with this is, is that is the, the big question for, for me. And like you, I am, I am sometimes sad that I don't get to like ask this the same. And, and even, even in the, context that it now we're after the fact so it's not like you could do a contemporaneous here's what i would have done as the general manager were i the general manager at that time but i will never shake the feeling unless he like he himself comes to me and says hey i would have done exactly the same thing that a lot of the elements after his ouster would have been different and my firm belief that a lot that the the franchise would have been better for it and that as strong as they are right now that it wouldn't and, and the craziest part of this is that they were chronologically they weren't far away like no, it's, no they weren't it, and and so it i i understand why and how everything happened and you do a great job laying it out in the book but that's that's the question that bothers me the most, especially because they moved so far away. It wasn't like they replaced Hinky with somebody who shared his approach or any element of like his value system. Just to, just with a more deft touch or something, right? Yeah, like, exactly. exactly. You know, like, <laughs> the, and there are teams that have done that before, where it's like you know maybe maybe they had an assistant GM that thought about things similarly, but didn't have the abrasive relationship with players. Or like there are times that happens mm-hmm. actually with coaching staffs where you mm-hmm. fire a coach, but you promote an assistant who you know maybe they have the same system, but they just do things a little bit differently. And since we didn't get that, we now have to deal in this hypothetical of, okay, well, what of the things that Colangelo did would Hinky have done and what Elton Brand obviously is doing now? And it's, you know, obviously it was still great fodder for a book. It's still great fodder for talk radio and everything else. But it is like it, it kind of feels a little bit hollow to me because we never got to see, you know, it's it, it's a story that we didn't get to see completed in the way that would have been fun. For sure. I always joke, you know, you can't. You can't have someone start a project, yank him halfway off, have four other people complete it, and then judge him on the final result, right? And that, like, it's just, it, it doesn't work. And yeah, not being far off part is interesting, right? Because at some point, the one that the literal math of it in terms of contracts, you know, they, at some point, you know, Embiid, Simmons, these guys come up, right? And you have to, that would have forced Hinky's hand. And also, like, you know, another pick, uh, they would have, he would have had another lottery pick. Uh, again, at some point, your team's going to start winning games. If either you keep, you miss on so many guys that it's clear you're not good for the job, right? So they were about, he was about 50% before he left. Um, you know, if he misses on one more, it's probably, you know, fairly, that would probably be say, okay, maybe this isn't right. Um, 
But if you hit on a guy, another lottery pick, then it's like, okay, we have two, three <laughs> young, really good young players, and you end up like the Memphis Grizzlies now, right? Where you're winning 40 games because you're just good, right? Not because you went out of your way to do so, just because you have a good team, and from there you kind of go. So I do think, I, I don't think, I think it's fair to say, I don't think it's, you have to, it's making much of a leap to say he would have been a little more patient in some of his maneuvering. Right. And there is often, and I mean, this is a criticism, uh, an incorrect one that happens of analytics a lot more broadly, and not that Hinky is an acolyte of any specific, you know, like idea with that, of analytics say X. So would have done that. Like yeah. the, the idea that just because the early stages of the process went this way, that that's the only way it was going to continue. No, I mean, the if you ever talk to people who think the way that Sam Hinkie does, and I mean, he doesn't talk a lot publicly, but also you know who he reads and who he thinks about, it, it's that you you calibrate what you're valuing, what you're prioritizing to the context that you are that you are in. And so the idea that they would have kept doing all of that is is ludicrous. Like that's that's just there's no basis in in like rational thought for that. But it how it changes is really important. And I mean the one this is far far away from when Hinky was running the team. But for me the the archetypal difference isn't the Markel Fultz trade. It isn't even the Jimmy Butler trade. It's the Tobias Harris trade. Uh, yeah, I would say that 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 trade. I'm gonna that trade, and I, cause I love Tobias Harris as a person, but that trade gets such a pay. It is underrated how bad a trade that was, and like not you know you can go on. I cut you off, but yeah, well, yeah. But so you. so we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll lay out why I believe that. So remember, Tobias Harris was a pending unrestricted free agent. Yeah, and there was a margin yep. between his cap hold and his his eventual max salary. Who it was pretty well known. Like I knew it at the time that he or didn't know. I had a reasonable expectation that his current team was not super enthusiastic about giving him a even a four-year max contract and it yeah, ended up yeah, being, they were they were they were hunting Kawhi. that was like that was an yeah. open secret right? it was an open like, it was that. an open secret and, <laughs> and and even if they even if they hadn't gotten Kawhi, i still like i don't yep. think the clippers valued what tobias harris brought so he's a pending unrestricted free agent the clip the the Sixers obviously didn't know where all their pieces were going to fall, whether they were going to be a space team or stay over the cap or everything else. And so, yeah, having optionality can be good. And they had these two high-profile unrestricted guys with Tobias and Jimmy that were both acquired in that season. But when you think about what they gave up, giving up multiple first-round picks, giving up Landry Shamit, who's a, a, an intriguing young player, and you know some some depth pieces who could have been useful for a a player who is a, who is a nice fit but who is a pending free agent who is going to get a ton of money on his next contract like that is a a very distinct bet and and so that's one part of it the other phase is the Sixers are still this incredibly young team and basically going all in only knowing that you have the rest of that season not knowing where it was going to go beyond that when Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are both in their you know early twenties, is not the type of bet that I could imagine somebody like Hinky having made. It's um, the other part I also bring up is the package they gave up. If you compare like what what that package gets normally, right? If you offering what what was the fight you said the, the unprotected pick and Sham and the other pick, like that gets you like I'm exaggerating, but like that gets you like superstars, right? In terms of um, the guys you get, if you if you take that, and I also laugh at this part, they did that deal two days before the deadline. So like, <laughs> this is where I love when I love when real sports when you can add, like sometimes you can't, often you can't, but every now and then you can compare it to your fantasy league and like if your deadlines, if you know if you propose a trade a week before the trade deadline and the other 
other guy says, oh, yeah, let's do this right now. Let's not wait. Like, that's probably not a great sign, right? Yeah. The Clippers saying, yeah, no, it's cool right now. Yeah, two days go before that. That's cool. We don't need to wait. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll take – can you guys put this in now? Um, that's kind of uh, – you know, it just – I think that's kind of telling, the fact that, you know, if you're willing to offer that much, why wouldn't you almost take that to every single team and say, hey – this is the package. What you got, right? What, what are you giving us? So, yeah, I agree with you. I'll, I'll lay out the trade just because I, I had it up. So, Tobias Harris was traded with Boban and Mike Scott right. to the Sixers for Shamit, Wilson Chandler, Mike Muscala, two first-round picks, which one was the Sixers' own 2020. That ended up being, I think it was the 25th pick. It was the became Cabin Galley. And then Miami's unprotected 2021 first, which which was also which was acquired post Tinky. That was the Mikhail Bridges Zaire yep, Smith trade, trade. Yep. and and then they also gave up two seconds a Detroit one, actually both Detroit, but 21 23. So yeah, that is that is a lot, and it, it isn't necessarily like blue chip assets. You know, Shamit, a player that I like, but he's more of a role player at this point. You know, the Sixers' own pick, we knew that wasn't going to be very good. And then Miami's unprotected. Miami's generally a good organization, but you don't, the unpredictability in the future. So, like, but you're right. That is a lot. And Tobias Harris was a pending free agent. That, right, exactly. Who you're hoping is going to be the fourth best player in your team. And granted, he's better. He's better than that on most teams. But again, you're, you're, the, it is, it is a lot to give up. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I agree. I would agree. That one was, uh, yeah, and that is that when you look at how they're kind of stuck now. And I'm saying stuck, like you know, it's easy to put, pick on them. They're still in a really good place, you know. Given yeah, all, even they're, all the they're, issues, a, good, they're a good team, but it ties in. And this, the, to me, the, and it, it is a question that honestly, even if you got an honest answer right now, that answer might change. Is the Sixers were cheap for a really long time? Not not like criticizing ownership. It's just that the way they built the team, and I think this was a, a pretty significant ancillary benefit of. Sam Hinkie's approach was that that team cost so little money, the the mm-hmm. roster on the floor. And now they're a very good team. Now they have so much money committed for such a long time. So ownership obviously signed off. I mean, especially when you, when you talked about in the book, Josh Harris having a larger voice in personnel stuff now than he did earlier mm-hmm. in this story. And I think that, so, so, so he's obviously on board. But I wrote about this a few a few months ago with the Washington Wizards. Like even when all of that happens, that doesn't ownership being on board when you when you commit to the contracts doesn't mean they're going to be yeah. on board throughout. And that is going to be a huge part of where the Sixers go from here. Is are they are is ownership comfortable with how expensive they're going to be, even if they were expensive okay with it when the contracts were signed? And. I- <laughs> it's like I guess how to phrase this. Yeah, they're weird. The ownership group is a weird group. Like on the one hand, they I I do believe they really want to win a championship, but I think that's become a thing. I think Josh Harris likes being owner of NBA team and like playing GM, right? I think that's a big part of it. Um, which I guess is good that he's into it. It's not good because it's never good when your owner wants to be involved like that. Um, in turn, yeah. So like, part of me says I wish. Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously pontificating and guessing. Um, Part of me says that at some point he's gonna be no. Let's keep doubling down. Almost in the I'll compare it to Dolan again, right? Yo, let's keep throwing more money at it. Um, the other part is that's not how he operates from a business end, and I just I don't know. Somebody's gonna be taking a fall at some point, right? And it won't be him. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and where they go on from there. Additional context on that is that Josh Richardson is going to be on a new contract in about a year, a little bit over a year, 
and Al Horford is another potential moving piece. I mean, well, he's the one, right? He's like he's like you're talking about this off. Like that, I, I, this is not another report. I don't know. I, they're going to have to trade him, right? I think that's kind of obvious. So he's trying to trade him, and that's an important decision. Should they make it? But also remember that if, part of what we're saying here is that they want to try to trade Al Horford and reduce their eventual commitments. That changes what you get for Al Horford. That changes the mm-hmm. teams that are interested. That changes the assets that have to be involved in the trade one way or the other, and. I, I, you know the Otto Porter trade for the Wizards is another is a kind of a comparable example. They, I mean, ended up I would say considering how hurt he's been, it, you could say it worked out for the Wizards that they dumped Otto Porter considering he basically didn't play for the Bulls this year. But that's often the way this goes. Like talented player, talented player. If you want to save their money, they're just coming off. It's not like you're getting you know good young player who costs five million dollars because good young player who costs five million dollars isn't getting traded for Al Horford. Yeah, no, exactly right. That's the uh, yeah, no. Just I don't. <laughs> I wish I have nothing to add. It's like yes, that's the. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how they're how they their off season's gonna be really fascinating. I guess that's how I would put it, right? To see how they try to maneuver out of this. Um, uh, like how this, the mother's stuck in right now. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do a little bit kind of towards the end of this. We'll get a little bit meta. You and I, like you and I, have both written books, so you get a, a narrow community. But I think some of the nuts and bolts of this are are legitimately interesting to people who listen. And one that you and I were talking about before we started this recording is a very basic thing, but that's dealing with profanity. So <laughs> you know, writing a book and the challenge of books versus pieces is that they're singular and they're forever and it's a lot harder to change them so did you grapple with this issue as much as i did of like how much swearing how whether to include it at all and like how is it going to work so i think maybe not i uh i'm pro funny right and i find the swearing (laughs) funny honestly that's Um, true which which is like i just like you know even titling and I'll use here, I'll drop one here, but like titling a chapter in Markel Fultz, quote, this is not the fucking kid we drafted, right? I just right. find that like Well, perfect, and also right? you're, just like, the, swear, the swearing in your book was, was so, I, I thought in certain cases was so important to telling the story that I think right. that probably <laughs> yeah. made it an easier decision too. Right, that, or like Brett Brown, right? I think putting the idea that I have a lot, Brett Brown curses a lot, and I don't think a lot of people would guess that or know that, right? And I thought that was important. It sounds funny, but like, I'm saying important, maybe that's in quotes, but just my job is to show you who Brett Brown is. I think with a book like this, part of that was maybe correcting a bit of a narrative about Brett Brown, right? Um, or showing a, a more, maybe a better way to put it, showing a, more, a fuller picture of who he is, as opposed to the guy who's, you know, very calm and effusive and open and ver- verbal in his um his press conferences right and part of that is he's he's got a he's got some bite to him and he's got, he curses a lot and putting that stuff in there so you know i uh yeah no i i uh so yeah i agree so maybe that's the answer like i do think it serves a point right often in terms of especially in quotes if you're quoting people um i think that definitely plays in i'll, I'll tell you a story that I, I don't think i've ever said this publicly before but i think it, it, it's kind of it, how all these things evolve so my mom is a school teacher and they have a copy of my book on the warriors in their school library and okay, at one great. point one of her fellow teachers noted to her to inform me that they had to like put something in the book because i had a couple swear words in it. and <laughs> so my hilarious. mom's like my mom is basically coming to me like did you have to do that and i was like sort of i mean some of them like there was a great clay quote that i wanted to include and it's like it just didn't work i guess i put a, maybe put some dots or some stars or whatever and the other kind of part of the challenge was really funny <laughs> was i actually talked to, I, I i think maybe i was more fixated on this than, than you were i talked about it with my editors before before it happened and it was one of those issues where I kind of 
a little bit of additional guidance would have maybe swayed me. But they basically gave me, which is a great thing overall, they gave me so much artistic control that they just said, eh, you can do whatever you want. And like, I'm kind of like, well, then I guess I'm going to have to make, I'm going to make this decision then. That's so funny. Yeah. That's really great. But That's it'll, really it'll great. happen. No, it's... I mean, I, in, in, I, I gotta say, in print, I'm pro cursing. Like, not again, not like, not in a, uh, not in just like every other sentence, like dropping an f bomb because you, you think it, like, thing you know, that you know, has a worse bleeping shot I've seen. But like, if unquote, I decided, I don't know, it makes it real. Maybe that's the way I'd put it in, right? It makes it real. It makes you feel like you're in the room in a way. Well, and it it tells the story. I mean, I think yeah. that's the what you were what you're getting at with Brett Brown. Like, there was, I felt so much pressure. Actually, the thing that I felt most pressure on in when when working on the project, and I'll be interested if you felt the same way, is to convey to convey the important things accurately, so mm-hmm. that people, you know, and the idea that, like I said, a book is singular, a book is permanent, so that if somebody comes to this ten years later, fifteen years later, and wants to, their goal is to read the definitive accounting in your case of the the process era Sixers that you've done justice to everything you took time on. That doesn't mean you necessarily did justice to the Alfred Payton trade, but the important parts of it. And that's where you get into those sorts of questions with Brett Brown, because you want to you want to make sure you tell you tell that part of it, because if you don't do it, then who is? Right. No, exactly. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Right. That's a, that's the job. You know, in a book, even that's also different. Like, so I do a lot of profiles and stuff. A book and a profile are very different, right? A profile is very much more narrow in terms of theme and what you're putting in. Like, if you're profiling Brett Brown, yeah, you want someone to know what um, – what he's like right that's one of the central questions but it's also you know you're doing it like what what story are you telling through brett brown what does brett brown represent like you can't tell an entire person like a profile shouldn't be a wikipedia page with quotes right but a book is probably closer to that it shouldn't be that either but it's going to be more all-encompassing um and you really want to make sure to capture that and that's yeah so i kind of felt that that was part that was a requirement well and especially with a figure like brett brown who is one of the few true common threads throughout and is also an important common thread you know like brett brown's demeanor brett brown's relationships with his players and with the front office including his time as a front office person that matters like that it's not even just oh he's a he's a character you know like you think about books that focus a lot on those those kind of details whether they're funny or they're interesting no like the elements of brett brown's character are important to telling this story because they are important to the pieces that mattered in this story beyond Brett Brown. For sure. It's funny, like, because I guess Hinky, I guess, I don't really have a protagonist to get really nerdy. Like, I guess Hinky's the closest thing to a protagonist in the book, right? Yeah. Um, well, like, he's more of a Joel shadow, Embiid's but, personality is really important, well, too. Like, that's, I was going to say, I was going to say, Joel Embiid, but, like, so Hinky's that, but Embiid and Brown are the two guys who, like, they're, like, and I'm, like, duh, again, like, they've been here the longest, but they're the two guys who you've seen throughout, who've been here the whole time, and, like, they're... I feel like if you read the book, those are the two you'll come out knowing the best, right? Just by nature of how they've been here. And I, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I don't know what sound that was. It just came out of me. But um, I do think those are the two where, like, you know, you see growth, and they've been around the longest, and they matter. And like going into it, it was like that was one of the things. But okay, Brett Brown and Joel Embiid, these are two. Hinky may be the protagonists, but those two are basically the main characters. Yeah, especially because they're more prevalent during the second half of the book. <laughs> <laughs> for sure exactly well, and, exactly and i think a place to kind of to kind of end this and this you get into this in the in the epilogue not to really spoil anything but and this is spoil you, could, away. you could think of this as the second half of the book is there's this weird duality juxtaposition of the person who laid the framework being acknowledged and kind of being a being a, a yeah. ghost in the room 
but not necessarily getting a lot of the credit. And I mean, so you talk, you brought up and this comes up, of course, in the book, Josh Harris at 2019 Sloan Conference, and the Sixers at that point are dramatically more successful, and they're about to win a playoff series and get agonizingly close to making the conference to making the conference finals, and who knows, maybe the NBA finals. And Hinkie, especially when you consider his connection to the average convention goer at Sloan, is obviously there. But it's this weird situation where the person who you empowered to make these decisions and then deposed isn't really getting he's not standing on the stage getting the questions asked and the applause should there be applause is just it's such a strange dynamic yeah like and that's happening not only that and like the everyone else who's still there and basically pushing them out or peacocking around the place right like <laughs> taking all the credit and talking as if you know they own it um or the best example i give right they they don't like talking about the process they get hinky out but they also trademark trust the process because let's make some money off of it right Absolutely. and that's kind of and that kind of, to me, that almost summarizes the whole situation there. Yeah, it really does. And um, I, I think that's honestly, there, there might not be a better place to, to end it. So I will thank you so much for taking the time. Ah, oh, thank you for having me on. It's a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks again to your own Weitzman for taking the time to come on. You can get your copy of Tanky to the Top all over online. I would recommend it right now. Support local bookstores, and you could probably do both those things. Get it online and support a local bookstore. Check out if you can make that happen. There will be a link to places you can get the you can get it on my Twitter with every tweet about this article and on your own's Twitter handle, which is at your own Weitzman, Y-A-R-O-N-W-E-I-T-Z-M-A-N. Of course, you can also read his work, work for Bleacher Report. Really enjoyed talking with him. And as we discussed a little bit on the pod, Going through something which is both recent history but also hasn't really been after the fact memorialized was a really enjoyable experience for me. I think it will be for a lot of you as well to think about all the craziness and there's a lot of good new reporting in there as well and more context. That was something Jerome and I talked about on the podcast, of course, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. I was very excited to read it. I had gotten a bunch of recommendations. Hey, you should have him on. And my policy is that I want to read the book before I talk to the person about the book. So I didn't get an advanced copy. So when it came out, I got it. When I finished Ethan's book, I read it. I really enjoyed it. I had had Jerome on. So you check out his work. If you want to support him, buy the book. If you want to support this show, leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player we're choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. Understand if it's not. And if you want to be super awesome, if you use another player, you can actually write reviews both places. You can go through and do that. Also, word of mouth, extremely important, even with a show that's been around as long as Real GM Radio. And then subscribing, downloading every episode, that's great. Helps our numbers, helps other people find the show. And... The single most important thing for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode. That is Bet Online and use that Podcast One promo code both to tell them that you came from us, but for you to get the sign up bonus, which is fantastic. Real Jam Radio will, of course, be back next week. I actually don't have a battle plan for the next couple. Have a f- I've sent out a few feelers, but with the ordering and all that, there's still so much to talk about. I am. I have no fear in terms of coming up with good stuff for Real Jam Radio for the duration of this hiatus, however long or short it, it will be. Also, plenty of other content. Nate and I are still doing Dunked On five times a week, and he's doing the wonderful COVID Daily News podcast as as well. He's really putting in Yeoman's work because he cares about that, and he and and Ben Taylor often are are doing great work. My writing is also continuing. I had a two-part series on The Athletic with Kelly Eco talking about where the Rockets go from here, and then I've done pieces recently on a potential cap drop, the Bucks negotiations with Giannis on a Supermax extension, 
the Hornets offseason, and then I have a lot more in the works, including some really cool other collaborative stuff. We're at the Athletic. We're using our resources to to com- re- do some really cool collaborative stuff, including some that you haven't really seen yet. That is in the works. That is going to be hammered out. If you have any feedback on this show, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny Larue NBA at gmail dot com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I promise I will take the time to read it and I will respond if and when I can. One of the weirdest things about this circumstance is that I I have my time is really differently structured. I actually don't really have much more free time. In fact, I might have less than than before, but I love what I do and I am not complaining about that in the slightest. So don't feel hurt if I don't respond, but I will read I read everything. They go to a separate place in my inbox and I make sure, okay, before I go to bed each day I've I've read every every previously unread message that goes to that. So you can take a look there. That's enough rambling for now. Uh, of course, subscri- support local journalism, support good national journalism. I am so thankful that m- I'm not saying to support me. I- I- I'm doing fine, but support you know other people and entities whose work is important, especially right now when those that are that rely on advertising are having a much harder time than subscription based systems, and it's all exceedingly important both now and after now. So if you can do so and local businesses and all that exactly the same too, it's, it is a challenge. And I mean, you can make your own decisions, but that is something I would recommend doing. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.